the revolution will not be televised. The Wall Street Shuffle. Get ready to push back the frontiers of ignorance with a special edition of The Economic Warrior with guest host, super sidekick, Will Pierce. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Good morning, or good afternoon. Phil, how are you? I'm well, Will. How are you? This is Phil Clagger, our handsome engineer. And Thank I'm you. Will Pierce, and uh, we're taking over to our uh, Barry Dyke. Barry's, uh, he has all these um, clients who are all around the country. He has to fly around and... and uh, take care of him and go to meetings and stuff and so today he let me have the uh have the show we'll start with uh some news what's in the news today i don't know will what's in the news yeah. all right we have some good news for bank north customers they ripped you off uh, according to a class action lawsuit uh but if you i mean they they're coin counting machines did that according to a class action lawsuit and uh that's not the good news but the good news is they settled the uh uh bank north settled the lawsuit and uh, without admitting guilt mind you and you get some of your money back they had they had these uh had you ever seen them in a in in the in the banks they, I, have, these penny, yes, penny, I have they the look TV like a lot north. of fun yeah don't they yeah well yeah. it's got that little stand that you can stand on it's got a little video interaction thing while it's counting your money uh, it's great, and uh, it's fun. It, it also just takes a whole big chunk of your change. <laughs> well, it's, I guess it works like a, uh, a like a penny arcade machine. Lights, lights flash, and things roll around, and you don't you don't get your money back. You get some of it. You don't get all of it. That's the thing. Okay. I'm sure that's the class action suit is that they felt like they were being taken advantage of by the use of the machine. You know, it, look, it looks like such an innocent, uh, fun thing, but uh, it's actually like a, a evil cyborg. You know. Um, it's a computerized billing fraud. That's a big, big subject. Uh, maybe we'll get into sometime. And, uh, you know, we have a, a special guest today. Who is our special guest uh, today, Will? He's a, Attorney Thomas Cox. He's from Portland. And uh, we'll get into um, what, uh, why he's here today and his, and his um, involvement in the, uncovering the robo, robo-signing scandal. But first, uh, we'll go through these news items. And... Uh, Tom, have you ever seen any of those count, coin counting machines in there? Yeah, I jam them up with screws and paper clips. That's <laughs> Good for you. He's a he's a rebel. <laughs> uh, you know you know how they uh, they nickel and dime you. Well, these 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 machines nickel, dime, and penny you. They get every last cent out of you they can. Yeah, and they take about a quarter of it. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, do they? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I think the last time I used one of those coin machines, they took eight cents on the dollar. Did they? Yeah. Wow. Uh, sometimes they tell you they're going to take something. Yeah. And, uh, well, I think we actually, you know what? That might be the coin star uh, version of it, uh, which is found in some of our local supermarkets. Oh, right, 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 right. Hmm. Hey, you know, over in Europe, they have uh, negative interest rates. I did not know that, Will, until yeah. I read your research for today's show. Yeah, that you put money in the bank, and uh, and rather than having your money slowly grow with interest over time, it slowly disappears. And in, in Germany, uh, people are buying a lot of home safes. There's a, there's, the sales have skyrocketed. Uh, I would also assume that mattress sales have also <laughs> gone up because that's where people keep most of their money in a mattress. <laughs> that's, that's a traditional place. Yeah. You know, one study in America found that um, 
in America, it's kind of the same thing is happening. The banks nickel and dime you so much that, in effect, you get a negative interest rate. Uh, do you remember the, uh, the banks used to have you um, used to have special accounts for, for kids, you know, to get them interested in putting their money in the bank. But uh, I don't it was know. It a passbook I, account. I remember I had one. They don't have passbooks anymore where they right. stamp your, your amount that's in your account. Yeah, those, those so I, I like those. <laughs> yeah, they, I get, yeah, they got rid of them at, uh, at um, Kennebunk Savings. Yeah. But uh, that's where I do some of my banking. Uh, and uh, I want to invite today, um, at risk of having things chaotic, I want to invite people to call in if they want, uh, especially if, you, um, if you're facing foreclosure, perhaps, or you've had an experience with that. This would be the time to call in. Phil, what number would they call? 603-430-9722. That number again for your viewers at home, 603-430-WSCA. With any and all questions mm-hmm. for... Now, is it attorney Tom Cox? Is that how you yeah, give your, no. bill yourself, sir? I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I was raised by one, so I know exactly the terminologies to stay away from, sir. So uh, the, the new report came out about uh, arbitration clauses and um uh, uh, thomas you must be familiar with arbitration clauses i am far too familiar yeah well the uh you familiar with this star chamber court it's kind of it's kind of like a star chamber court um it sounded like a good idea at first but then uh human nature stepped in this the star chamber courts um they were back in a f- four or four or five hundred years ago and um they figured that if a like a noble in um in uh in um, britain were were to be drawn before a, a civil court uh no one would be no one would bother convicting them they, or no one would want to convict them because they'd be afraid to so they had these special courts for uh in the uh, in the capital f- for for noble people and uh and it, th- it worked for a while but then what I what I I think of as niceness corrupted it. Uh, you know, they say uh, if you're a judge in that court and and you say, hey, this guy's my buddy, I play polo with him or whatever, and uh, I think I'll let him get away with a murder. You know, and uh, that's that sort of happens, and that's kind of like arbitration, isn't it? Well, yeah, arbitration. Uh, if if you were a Wells Fargo bank customer and they set up fake accounts in your name, and your credit was damaged. And Wells Fargo said you had to go through arbitration. Well, Wells Fargo hires the arbitrators, and whose side do you think the arbitrator is going to want to be on? The people whose checks they're cashing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a mortgage with Wells Fargo, and I'll ask you about that later. <laughs> <laughs> nice. My, uh, my girlfriend used to work for them, though, and, and uh, I don't know. She she never noticed anything. Well, just really? a, just a plug for everybody in the arbitration clause. Yeah. You should everybody should know that the United States Senate it has on its calendar to vote any day now on a bill to wipe out the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau's new arbitration rules. So if you care about not being being allowed to bring class actions against banks like Wells Fargo or against Equifax, you should call your state senator and tell them not to vote for that rollback. Or your your U.S. senator, well, U.S. senator, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, arbitration is is a 
is a particular interest of mine um, because it, <laughs> I noticed it was a problem in my own personal experience and because uh, I couldn't take a bank to court. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I realized this was a... This was not uh, well. Well, arbitration is, is a it's a secret corporate for profit court. Right. Secret corporate for profit. That doesn't sound like you're going to get much justice there. Right. Um, so, uh, as a, a consumer advocate in Maine, um, I helped um, get a, a law passed, which um, we did a with um, uh, William Lund and the office of of um, consumer credit consumer credit protection in uh, Maine, we passed a bill that um, that sponsored a study of how many people, uh, you know, how how the people did in arbitration, whether the um, corporation won or whether the um, uh, the defendant won. Let's say that's good. It could be uh, it's just someone. Um, Sees that the an unfair charge on their credit on their credit card. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let Phil take a guess. Take a guess at how many consumers won in the, in the arbitrations in Maine according to the study. You have to use a whole number between zero and and one. Um, <laughs> I would say one percent. No, wrong. <laughs> it was closer to zero percent. I think your chances of winning an arbitration are zero, just <laughs> yeah. about statistically zero. Um, and this this guy, uh, uh, Richard Cordero, right? Uh, he's a uh, with the um, with this uh, uh, bureau that was set up by uh, the Dodd Frank bill. Um, he was also attorney general in um, in a midwestern state. I know I know about Cordray because he quoted my deposition ah. when he sued G. Mac Mortgage out in Ohio before he went to Washington. Ah, I see. So, so, we, so that's got to be a, a pretty good feeling of yeah. doing what you do uh, for the benefit of the people, and there are people elsewhere that are you know quoting you. Yeah, it's not, it is good. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so he did. He did. Um, Richard Cordray did a national study with extreme uh, patients. And I, I think they looked at pra- practically every arbitration, and uh, I, or I, I, if I'm wrong, I don't know. But it, it just yeah, and they found that um, of the thousands and tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of cases that could have gone to arbitration, only 300 people actually chose to do it uh, per year. I, I think that was well part of the feature of arbitration is uh, we all pay our taxes and when we go to court we don't have to pay the judge when mm. wells fargo when a wells fargo customer go to arbitration the we have we the customer and the bank have to share the cost of the arbitrator mm-hmm. so you have the privilege of not only paying for your own lawyer if you can get one you also have the privilege of paying for the judge and as i said before the judge is mm-hmm. more likely to rule in favor of the bank who's going to hire them the next time where you're never going to go back again. Yeah. And what happens if, if that arbitrator doesn't rule in favor of the, favor of the bank? They, they probably get fired, right? They're not going to get hired again. They're not going to get hired, sure. yeah. 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 And uh, now the, the people that promote arbitration, American Arbitration Association, and, and the, uh, the um, spokespeople for, for the Chamber of Commerce, let's say, I believe, um, they'll say that uh, arbitration is cheaper. Is that is that true? Can it 
can be, but um, again, you're paying for the judge. Where mm-hmm. if you go to court, you're not paying for the judge. You know, the th- the thing to understand about what's going on right now is arbitration per se isn't evil. It it has a good place in the commercial sure. context, yeah. but for the little guys like us uh, taking on the big guys, it's not an even playing field. Mm. Yeah. So and what do we have to do as the American people to level a playing field? Well, what, we have to back up. You have to call your New Hampshire and your Maine senators and tell them don't vote to roll back Richard Cordray's arbitration rule. The thing to understand about that rule, it's actually that rule isn't going to wipe out arbitration. What that rule is going to do is take away from the banks and the commercial interests the ability to exclude consumers from using class actions. That's mm. that's the fallout from the rule is if if Cordray's rule is wiped out, class actions will be wiped out with it. That's that's what we're mm-hmm. worried about. Mm-hmm. And the complaint about class actions is class members, we all get these postcards about some settlement. We might get 2 or $3 out of it, and the lawyers oh, make it. Oh, I got like 450 bucks. Well, there you go. Yeah. But the, the lawyers got a lot more. But the bottom line is working together as consumers, even though we may get a little bit, the class actions deter misconduct. Mm-hmm. And oh, they're really sure. an important yeah. consumer tool. Hmm. Will, do you think we should give out Maggie Hassan's phone number at her Portsmouth office? 603-433-4445. That's Maggie Hassan, U.S. Senator for New Hampshire. Give yeah, her a maybe call. Next, next week I'll come in and, I'll, and we'll see how they they voted. Because um, <laughs> yeah. uh, that comedian senator um, from Minnesota, he, he brought in the arbitration, um, uh, an arbitration bill last time. And um, he, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they, those two voted. Uh, on it, uh, so it's coming up again. Right on. Okay. Uh, now we have a uh, Thomas. We have a special, a special um, event every week where we uh, go for the Wall Street Whopper of the week. Okay, okay, Phil. I've been I've been entrusted with uh, with Barry's show, and I yeah. want to make sure I do things right. Now, this is a rule check. Can a company win two weeks in a row? I would say yes. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, the winner this week is um, J.P. Morgan Chase. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. What would that be? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> a Texas jury awards somewhere between four to eight billion dollars. That's a B. That's yeah. a billion. To the beneficiaries of the state of Max Hopper, one of the guys who invented, I believe, the air, air the Saber Airline uh, computerized reservation system. System. No, no, the um, his he died uh, without a will, and uh, don't, and no one should do that. Uh, but uh, because then they, then your estate has to go to court, and uh, for some reason the. Um, the uh, bank was uh, put in charge of his estate. Now, um, is that a Thomas? That's traditionally has been what what people do is they 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 have the banks as one of the trustees of an of an estate. Uh, I mean, you're when, when when we used to trust the banks, that's what we used to do. Okay, that that's a that's a good way to look at it. When yeah. we used to trust the banks. Okay, but maybe these days, if you, you might might want to make your trustees. Uh, Maybe maybe you might have a lawyer you trust or or uh, relatives. Well, you know, 
or not one of the big banks. I would still trust Kennebunk Savings Bank and the little banks. I mean, if mm-hmm, I trust mm-hmm. departments, I trust the local banks. Oh, okay. Good. But I'm not yeah, sure about yeah. J.P. Morgan Chase or Wells yeah. Fargo. I think you have to be careful. Mm. You know, I, I had a friend whose her family um, gave uh, wanted to um, put aside, uh, I think it was a million dollars for um, the main um, medical school, Maine State Medical School, and. Uh, they put it in the hands of a bank, and the bank. Oh, you. What's that face? What's that face for? You can't see, but. Uh, it, <laughs> you, you can't really hear faces on the radio. Yeah, um, but uh, so they've uh, they've spun off ten thousand dollars a year, one percent, for a long, long time. Well, you know, there's a little bit of an interesting story in Maine about the banks. During the savings and loan crisis, I represented the FDIC. Oh, did you? And I defended uh, the FDIC against multi-million dollars of claims because it turned out that some of the banks had trust departments, and they were investing their clients' trust money in their own stock. stock. Mm Mm-hmm. So, for example, when Bank of New England uh, had a trust department and you trusted them to take care of your your uh, grandmother's estate and her trust, uh, they were they were investing her money in their own stock. And mm. you may recall they went broke. Ah, and the oh. trust uh, took a fairly major hit. And so they, they wanted to come back to you and, and collect from the FDIC. Yeah, absolutely. And you said, listen, you didn't invest this money properly. You invested it with yourself. Yep. And, uh, now, we, no, I represented the FDIC defending the banks. Yeah. And I, we, we paid some very what substantial money for that, for oh, that okay. conflict of interest. Mm. Hmm. Okay. So, um, so these, uh, what happened with um, this, um, the estate of Max Hopper down in Texas is um, <laughs> the J.P. Morgan had a bunch of uh, uh, had had a, a lot of uh, a lot of money and um, a lot of uh, all sorts of uh, items like artwork and things. Sixty-seven hundred like. golf putters and nine hundred <laughs> bottles of wine. <laughs> that's, that's what I call a collector. <laughs> and the bank took years to release release basic interests there. So basically, they just held onto them and took the interest. Wow. So, so if you're a relative, you, you're depending on uh, Mr. Hopper, perhaps for your income, your your his wife or something, and. Uh, you know, you might want to not have to wait uh, five years to uh, to get your money back. And and why do you think the banks held on to that money for so? The bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, held on to it for so long. Well, it's called the float. They earn interest on the float. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Which which is not reported to the estate at all. It's them because they have it and they're holding it. They can earn money from it without the principal being deter- diminished or. Uh, the original people knowing, right? Well, te- mm. technically, they're supposed to return interest to the estate, but if they invest in their own mutual funds it, and their own cash funds, then then it's those funds that pe- prof- the bank profits fund. So profits it says from. here that in some cases the stock options expired. Does that mean the expired stocks, the estate takes a hit, or J.P. Morgan gets a benefit because they let the stock options expire? And I think the estate took a hit there. Yeah. Oh, wow. So... They weren't. Uh, so, what, so, clear, so clearly, the uh, the judge awarded the amount of money that was appropriate for the for the fraud. Well, 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 well I think a lot of it was um, um, 
penalizing the bank. It was yeah. the actual damages were about nine million, and a lot of it was a uh, what do you call it? It says nineteen yeah. million. Or nineteen. Okay, okay, nineteen million. Oh, the the, the estate was nineteen million, yeah. and they were forced to pay four billion dollars in punitive damages. damages. Well, they haven't been pay- they haven't been forced to mm-hmm. pay it. That's the order. Yeah. Unfortunately, under the U.S. Supreme Court decisions and state law, that's going to be a much, much, much smaller number by the time that case gets settled. Mm. The J.P. Morgan Chase will not pay billions so the, of dollars. So um, the American government protects the banks taking advantage of the American people? I just want to make sure I'm getting that information clear. Well, all I can say is the Supreme Court has said you don't get those kinds of multiples on uh, regular damages. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase will not even pay a billion dollars, I can assure you of that. Wow. And okay. that's our government that we support every single day yeah. by, you know, paying tax dollars and sales tax and everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, now, we, now we're going to – might be the time to introduce um, and Thomas Cox formally and uh, Attorney uh, Thomas Cox and, and uh, tell us uh, why we brought him here today. Maybe sometime you could come back and tell us about the savings and loan crisis because that was an interest, interesting uh, – they put a lot of bankers in jail, right? They did. Yeah. They did then. We haven't this time. Yeah. Well, um, now you're the hero of this uh, great book by David Dan called Chain of Title, how three ordinary Americans uh, uncovered Wall Street's great foreclosure fraud. And you were, um, you were the uh, professional in this, uh, in this instance, and um, uh, you're the one that's um, doing all the actual work of uh, holding the banks accountable to, uh, for that fraud. Uh, somewhat. Well, yeah. I mean, I came to the table back in 2008 from a perspective. I've represented banks for 30 years. Oh, yeah. Well, tell us, tell us where'd and, you grow up and uh, where'd you go uh, to school? You know, I, I, was, uh, I was born in Philadelphia. I went to Colby College and then on to BU Law School and came back up to Maine. I've been a litigator all of my career. I, and I represented banks, mostly Maine-based banks, and I really liked my bank clients. They were honest and they were good banks. And then the SNL crisis came in the late 80s and early 90s, and a number of those banks got closed down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the perspective I brought to the foreclosure-related work that I started doing in 2008, I guess, is when I started that work. So, so you're happy in Maine. And uh, what, the, what initially brought you back up here? Colby College? Or? Colby, yeah. I spent a year in Boston, and I was a public defender, a couple of years as a public defender oh, wow. in Boston. Yeah. And I got a flavor of the uh, political system and the justice mm-hmm. system in Boston and I think I thought things might be straight more straightforward up in Maine are they I think they are yeah, I think they okay, are good. yeah we, we have a we have a good uh, good legal system in Maine I'm, I'm very pleased to be part of it hmm. yeah, I think we have a fairly responsive political system somewhat yeah, okay all right wow. well I mean no it's <laughs> a very naive statement to make on this show will <laughs> so what I, I I've a I've um you know go, gone and advocated for for quite a few bills in the legislature and it's kind of it's a very very complicated process and uh, ultimately the lawyers uh, in the revisor's office decide what's actually going to happen and beyond then um it's kind of a mystery. Well, when it I, gets I, there, it's a mystery I, to me. I had a bill in the last session of the legislature. It was a wonderful bill. We got it through the Judiciary Committee with a unanimous vote. We got it through That's the great. House and the Senate with really strong votes. And it was a bill that was going to create a duty for mortgage servicers to treat, act in good faith 
in all of their dealings with homeowners and give homeowners the right to sue them. They need, they did, they need a law for that? Well, yeah, they do need a law for that. Um, we, have, we, we live in this strange world of mortgage servicing, which is truly a weird, weird well, what's structure. A, what's a mortgage servicer? Well, I, that's what I'm going to tell you. I mean, if, if, if you, we're talking about Wells Fargo, let's use Wells Fargo. Suppose Wells Fargo originates a loan. They, they, lend, they lend you uh, $150,000 for your mortgage. They, they did, just, just about. Okay, so, the, so they lent that money to you. Well, but in fact, you're not going to get the bills from Wells Fargo. You're going to get the bills from so a company like Nation Star. Nation Star. Yeah. Nation Star is a mortgage servicer. Well, you know, they, they've changed their name. They're now called Mr. Cooper. So you're going to get bills. I, 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 I refuse to write my checks with that name. You're going to have <laughs> so to. Silly. You're going to get your mortgage statements from Mr. Cooper because you'll be hanging with Mr. Cooper. <laughs> yeah, that's a DL Hughley. And, and, the, and the thing about Mr. Cooper is they've sent out some wonderful advertising about how how good they're going to be to the customer or the the homeowners whose loans they service service. But Mr. Cooper really doesn't have a reason to care about you because it's not their money they're playing with. It's Wells Fargo's money. Mm-hmm. So the we so the mortgage servicers do not treat homeowners well at all, and that's why we got that bill through the legislature. Because up until we got that bill, and even today, I don't generally have the right to sue a servicer when they don't treat me really? well. Yeah, and we needed a bill, and, and unfortunately, uh, Governor LePage vetoed that bill. Said it was huh. said it was unnecessary. Well, I want to say something uh, again about. Um, Class action lawsuits. I mean, a lot of them are nickel and dime stuff. But um, I got one from uh, Home Depot for five hundred bucks. Uh, oh no, it's I think it may have been Lowe's, um, and it was uh, on um, wallboard that was defective from China. That's right. Uh, but I also got another all just about five hundred dollars uh, for because um, on my mortgage. I think it was a servicer for. Um, for Wells Fargo, I, th- I think it was that uh, they uh, the, the attorneys brought this lawsuit at a very unfortunate time for for Wells Fargo, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. And, well, uh, so with these these pay off big time. Sometimes they do. Yeah. Sometimes they can. Yeah, yeah. The, the class yeah. action lawsuits they're yeah. good for consumers. Um, so uh, to the, uh, let's get, let's get back to what we're here for. Right? Discuss the uh, robo signings scandal. Uh, during the savings and loans crisis, uh, President Reagan uh, allowed his, uh, it was his appointees to pursue the bankers who were engaged in fraud, and, uh, and he won th- over a thousand convictions. Uh, under Bush and B- Obama, that didn't happen at all, and bankers seem to have gotten away with, I don't know if it's a criminal liability, but um, uh, for fraud, and they, they had all their business losses paid off by the government. But... Um, now, now you're holding them accountable. Just about <laughs> not the only person. Uh, is, is anybody else holding them accountable? There's there's a bunch of us around the country yeah. here who are doing this work. But it, you know, let me just tell the story a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I think people can. It's, it's a kind of a fun story. When I came back to doing uh, foreclosure defense work, I changed sides back in 2008. I got into it by. Sitting down at the Volunteer Lawyer Project office in Portland and just reviewing hundreds of foreclosure files. Is that Pine Tree Legal? That was part of, well, Pine Tree Legal, yep. And Mm. and I I started seeing a pattern in these cases of how GMAC mortgage was abusing Mm. homeowners in the foreclosure cases. And what 
they were most of most everybody who might be listening is is used to television drama and courtroom dramas but actually a lot of a lot of uh, loan cases uh, whether they're credit card debts or uh, mortgage cases get settled through what's called the summary judgment process where where banks get to go to court and say hey there really shouldn't be any dispute about the facts in this case the borrower got the money they're, they haven't paid it. It's all easy. It's all simple facts. We should just be able to prove mm-hmm. our case by affidavit. Without even a trial. Without even going to trial. We should have a short circuit path, which is called summary judgment. It, okay. Um, could we uh, just uh, could we get back to just the nuts and bolts of the, uh, yeah. of the process of, um, of buying a home? And, and uh, so you're going to use a lot of terms. We, we have one, one of our uh, esteemed announcers here, uh, Charlie Griffin. He's a he's a, a lawyer also. He's a my real estate lawyer, uh, and uh, but uh, you can't have him because he's retired, right? Or, or that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. And he's going to talk with us about um, uh, just how things are a little bit different in um, in uh, in, in um, New Hampshire. A lot different. A lot different. Okay, that's great. I want I, I, I want to give well, you a new title, Thomas. It's almost like you you're like precedent send it setting, uh, Thomas Cox. You're uh, you, you're involved well, I think in. He does. You're involved. He's involved in many of the Wikipedia pages that are written about robo signing. So it's it's pretty impressive to have you in the hot seat, sir. Yeah. Thank, yeah, you, thank for you for being for coming here. today. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a long drive. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to try to make this um, this whole. Uh, process of a of a title gaining title buying a house you have to you have to get the title and uh, we'll just try to uh, talk about it in a pretty simple terms um so we can all understand it uh, now new hampshire um has cl- unjustly claimed uh, the portsmouth naval shipyard in, in a supreme case or or you could argue the other way maybe it's justified but uh and the um they had to go all the way back to a decree by King George before this country was was established um, in 1740. So these old documents are, are really important in de- determining who owns a piece of property. Uh, now you guys in law school, they must have uh, this must have been kind of sacred uh, almost <laughs> the uh, the chain of title. I, I noticed in a, in a crim- I noticed in criminal trials there comes a there comes a kind of a boring kind of a boring point where they bring in an expert. And uh, they'll um, they'll talk about the uh, the chain of uh, custody. Uh, like, let's say the detective goes in, he, he sees the murder weapon. It's it's a um, it's a pistol on the floor. So he'll take it, he'll put it in a plastic bag, and then he'll write down, I guess, um, you know, that that he has custody of it. And then he'll give it to the evidence people, and they'll uh, write down that they have custody custody of it. And they'll take it to the forensic examiner and. He'll make a note that he has custody of it, and then he'll give it back to the um, to the lawyers or to the court. So there's this long chain of custody that that um, this one particular object has to go through. And if you're sitting in court, you you listen to this whole thing, I I, I believe. Um, so that's a that's called a chain of custody and um, chain of title. This is, is that kind of similar? Well, similar. When you when you buy a house. You have title to your house. When you mm-hmm. borrow money, you actually give title to your house to your bank. Mm-hmm. They own the title to your house. Um, I think it's the same in New Hampshire. That's certainly the same in Maine. It's not. That's not the same in all states. But you give the title to the bank, and they hold that title. And what you have left is the right to live in your house, and you have the right 
to get the title back if you pay the mortgage off in mm -hmm. time. And then there's a note which a there's a promissory note, note that you have to sign, which you, where you promise to pay the money. So there's two documents. You get, you sign a note where you promise to pay back the money, and you sign a mortgage where you give the bank the title to hold it as security for your paying back the your, the note. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now um, you want to make these notes are original documents uh, which you sign in a closing, and uh, you have to. I mean, you don't have to. It's not required. But it's, it's advisable to take these uh, original documents to secure place, and that place would be the... Uh, well, the, the law that applies to mortgage notes, for the mm -hmm. most part, is the same law that applies to checks. And if I give you a check payable to you for $100, and if you sign the back of that check just so, and you want to give it to somebody else to go cash it, and whoever you give it to drops it on the street and picks it up, that person, that thief, can take it to the bank and get the $100. Mortgage notes have the same law. And so it's very important that those mortgage notes be properly preserved because a lot of them were also endorsed in blank as soon as the loans closed. Endorsed in blank, meaning the, the, um, the beneficial owner of the note, it, it's not named. Is that what you're right. saying? Right, and whoever possesses that piece of paper has the right to enforce that note. Is that like a bearer? Yes, like a bearer, bearer bond? paper. Yep. Bearer paper. Okay, so when you take that note to the, uh, I mean, you guys, um, you would take that note to the registry of deeds, right? No, well, you take oh. the mortgage to the oh, registry. registry. Okay. The, the note goes in the safe. The mortgage goes to the registry of deeds. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> And uh, you encounter, I, I um, printed up the uh, schedule of fees for uh, York County, uh, where, where I'm from, and uh, where we broadcast this, and also for um, Rockingham County. And I think it's, it costs a little money to, to register these. Uh, right. Um, now, this is probably something you shouldn't go cheap on, right? Uh, right. Uh, so it's 19 bucks for the first page and three, $3 for every page thereafter. And uh, that's in York County. And, and 17 for, uh, for Rockingham County for the first page and $4 uh, after that. And uh, could we blame part of the financial collapse on the, on the fact that the, the banks didn't want to pay these fees? Not directly. No, no, no. Not because, directly. No, because when, when, when you get your mortgage loan from the bank, you might get your $150,000 for your loan, but you're also going to have to pay them the $19 to record that fee. You're going to pay it. They're not oh, going to okay. pay it. Oh, okay. Uh, well, f for some reason, it was convenient for the banks not to pay this. Well, no, what, they, they, what, they, what, what, was, what was not hmm. convenient, they, they, they didn't mind paying the recording fee. What they didn't want to pay, you, you talked about the, the chain of evidence in a, mm -hmm. in a criminal case. Well, we have the, and what David Dayon talks about in his chain of title issue is when you borrowed, say, say you borrowed money from a com company, this really was a company, uh, New Century Mortgage Company. Mm -hmm. um, New Century Mortgage Company didn't want to keep ownership of that loan. They wanted to sell it to somebody else so they could get more money and make another loan. Not when you get a loan, not only mm -hmm. not only not only would you 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 would receive the $150,000, you'd pay $19, but you'd pay a whole bunch of other fees for that lend, right. to that lender. And New Century made a lot of money on making the loans, not on owning them. So if New Century wanted to sell that loan, say they wanted to sell it to Deutsche Bank, it would have to go through several intervening owners to get there, and each of those transfers should have required a mortgage assignment 
to also be recorded in the registry of deeds. That's mm. what the banks didn't want to do. They didn't want to pay that. They didn't want to pay that. They and, didn't want to manage were that they, paper. Were they legally required to, to do that? Probably not, right? And that's why they set up their own system. The state of Oregon Supreme Court says they had to pay it in Oregon. That, that's the only ah, state that's okay. gone there so far. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe it's uh, it would be a good idea to have all these uh, transfers of title uh, be mandated, have it mandatory that they be registered. Um, well, part of the reason that we all we should all want to know who owns our mortgage is when somebody starts a foreclosure case. It might not be the right party. And if you can't go to the registry of deeds and figure out who really owns it, you don't have any real way to know whether the right party's even bringing the foreclosure case. That's a, that's a that sounds like a serious problem. I, th- I think in this book chain of title, you could they describe how people were homeowners who had paid off their mortgages. They were foreclosed upon by more than one uh, bank that yeah. pur- purported or reported to be the owner. Yeah, yeah, and, that, uh, that did happen. Yeah. So, so what is um what is MERS? Uh, oh boy. Um, MERS is an acronym for Mortgage Electronic Registration Systems, and it was a device created in the late 1990s to evade the registry recording of assignments system. And the design was that, again, use the example, say New Century Mortgage lent you money. The mor- your mortgage would be payable, w- w- would show that it ran in favor of MERS as nominee for New Century Mortgage. Okay, that's the um, blank, the beneficiary? or Yeah. We lawyers don't even agree on what a nominee is. Okay. But it would, the, that mortgage would run to MERS as nominee for New Century Mortgage, and it would mm-hmm. go into the registry of deeds. And from there on out, New Century might sell that mortgage three or four times, and it might and, finally end up with Deutsche Bank. And they don't want to pay those fees. They don't want to pay those those assignment the recording $19, fees. The $19, the $17. So, okay. so those assignments do take place, but they take place electronically on the MERS computer system, which is not available for you and me to go look at. Yeah. Okay, well, the, the um, our registers, uh, registry of deeds, I believe um, both... Uh, the registrar of deeds in uh, in both um, York County and, and Rockingham County, it's it's an elected official, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So can't uh, speak for New Hampshire, but uh, Maine, uh, is yeah, elected. Maine is. Yeah. Is, is that? It is. It's a, it is an elected position. So, so someone well. you got to trust with the, with all these uh, with all this paperwork. Um, but MERS, uh, we didn't really have much access to that, did we, uh, as citizens? No. The, the part of the design of MERS, I have an opinion letter from the Washington firm of Covington and Burling, uh, from which Eric Holder came and to which he returned after a stint in the Justice Department. Part of the mm-hmm. design of the MERS system was to keep keep the information as to who owned individual mortgages confidential and to hide it. And MERS was forced to open that information up. But the, the original design was to hide it. Hmm. So you couldn't know who owned your loan and who whether they were the right ones to sue you. Why would they? Well, I mean, well, to, to avoid they, a lawsuit, that, that that's a good reason yeah. to keep it secret. Yeah, and, and, and maybe, they, maybe they wanted to let anybody sue. In fact, the MERS system, as originally designed, um, we beat them in Maine on this back in 2010 in the case of MERS versus Saunders. The MERS system originally let MERS take a mortgage and re- foreclose against you in the name of MERS. Hmm. And so that didn't tell you anything about who owned that loan. 
And if you wanted to go try to get a loan modification, you didn't even know who to talk to. Wow. Okay. Well, let's um, let's go back to the uh, experience of um, uh, down in Florida of the um, it wasn't uh, Lynn Smolsky, It was um, Lisa Epstein. Now, what the, could you describe what happened to her and? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to, the names are going to blur for me, so you're okay. going to need to jump in. But she was not a lawyer. She was no. a homeowner. I think, she was, I think a she, nurse. she was a nurse. Yeah, and, uh, for cancer uh, patients. She, she was one tenacious lady. Mm. Um, and she thought the foreclosure action against her was wrong. And she started going into the Florida court systems and the Florida registries of deeds. And dig, she's digging out her own records first and then started digging out records of hundreds of foreclosure cases in Florida. Well, what did she find? She found that the people who were foreclosing weren't the right ones, they didn't have the right to foreclose, and the paper, lots of it, was uh, fictitious. Hmm. Now, someone has to, I mean, I mean, she can say that, and uh, but someone really has to go and, and prove that. Right. And. Uh, did you, you proved it, didn't you? We did. Um, I, I was talking earlier about the GMAC case. The, the GMAC had this guy named Jeffrey Steffen. And he was a, he, he, I took his deposition in 2010, in the summer of 2010. And um, he testified that he was signing thousands of summary judgment affidavits and foreclosure cases in Maine and all over the country. And in his affidavits, he would swear that he was the custodian of all of those records for all of those thousands of people. And he would swear that he had personal knowledge as to exactly how much each one of those people owed, right down to the penny. And how many would he sign an hour? He was, he was signing, what I get, 10000 a month, I think. Huh. eight to 10000 a month he was signing of, of so, these affidavits. So, so he probably really didn't know what was going on. Well, he him. admitted that. When, when yeah. I took his deposition, you know, I, I gathered a lot of information before I went down there. And, it, 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 sometimes it's not easy to get to someone to, uh, to give a deposition, is it? Oh, uh, they, fight. they fight you like crazy. I, I, I lined up five cases. Before I went down to depose Stefan, I had five GMAC cases lined up. So if they blocked me in one, I had four more right behind it. And uh, But once we got him in the room, he was very forthcoming, and he admitted that when he was given an affidavit to sign, he didn't read it. Mm. He didn't know what was in it. You know, in his affidavits, he would swear that the note and the mortgage attached to it were the correct documents. And then, But then he admitted to me in his, in his deposition that he didn't even know if they were attached. He never mm. looked at them. Um, and, and then we all sort of know what it means to go get a notary public, and you stand in front of the notary and you swear that something you sign is true. And Stefan, toward the end of the deposition, admitted that when he signed, he would sign a stack of several hundred affidavits in a few minutes. Oh, so, so he was a notary? Uh, no, 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 he no. Wasn't. but he, he, his, say, uh, he was, his oath was supposed to be, to be taken by a notary. Uh, and he would have an employee come in, take that stack of documents down the hall, and that notary would sign a statement saying that Stefan had personally appeared before him or her and swore that it was true and it wasn't happening. So maybe that notary's not telling the truth either. Well, that's that's where I go back to the justice system. You know, interesting, when we uncovered this, I went to the U.S. attorney in Maine, who was then a holdover Republican appointee, and said, look, we've got major fraud going on, and I couldn't even get an appoint, appointment with her. And then, then uh, Obama came in, and we got a Democratic appointee, and that U.S. attorney was a former judge who I knew, and we sat down with him about the fraud that we'd uncovered. 
he was very interested, and then the trail went cold, and it appears several months later that he was instructed by Washington not to touch it and not to go after the fraud that we'd uncovered. Well, isn't that surprising? <laughs> uh, so uh, so these um, these mortgages we're talking about, they, they helped create a collateralized debt right. uh, uh, obligation notes, and that's... Uh, that was kind of the um, whole cause of the financial collapse, or would you? Well, you, you, there were there, there's two things you have. Let's talk about the concept of securitization, which is what happens when New Century originates your loan mm-hmm. and then sells it to a Deutsche Bank trust. That's called securitization, because Deutsche Bank trust doesn't even keep ownership of that loan. It sell it slices and dices it, and sell, sells shares in that pool of loans to thousands of people all over the country all over the world. That's securitization. Securitization is what blew up the financial crisis because nobody, the New Century as a lender wasn't retaining any risk. Deutsche Bank wasn't retaining any risk. So nobody, the people who had authority in the system kept no risk, and they didn't care about what happened. But then the same players in the foreclosure crisis, they don't care about honesty either. Because the servicers, it's not their money they're playing with. If it's Deutsche Bank who's foreclosing, it's not their money. It's the investor's money. The lawyers don't care because mm-hmm. they never get fired. It's a bad, bad system. Bad system, yeah. So, you know, the, uh, our, our country um, uh, took, took the financial hit for the, uh, for the crisis. We, we, bailed it. we bought these um, collateralized debt obligations, and um, we took the loss. Uh, but I'll ask both of you guys, um, who should have taken the loss? Uh, the taxpayers or, I mean, taxpayers, I don't think so, but uh, maybe. Ooh. It's well, okay. Wall Street created this absurd system. The, Wall, the quants who work in the major Wall Street firms. Quants are. They're these mm-hmm. brilliant Ivy League graduates who are mathematical geniuses and mm-hmm. who designed this system to make money, to generate fees for Wall Street. They're, that's where the losses should have been taken. But as you know, we, we, we put up the TARP program. How many? $700, $800 billion in the bailout for the banks. Mm. So the taxpayers ended up footing the bill. Much of it got paid back. I mean, I give them credit for that. Um, but that doesn't compensate all of the rest of us who saw houses being foreclosed upon. You know, there's an estimate that 10 million homes were foreclosed in the foreclosure crisis. You multiply that by husbands and wives and children and friends. There's probably 50 billion people who have been damaged by this crisis. Um, Now, in this um, book, Chain of Title, there's a (laughs) pretty compelling uh, picture of uh, what the... um, Court, uh, what, what foreclosure court is like is in in Florida, and and um, I'll ask you guys both uh, to describe the same process in in Maine and New Hampshire. But uh, do you, do you recall? I do recall. I mean, yeah. it, it's 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 a it's a circus, and they 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 brought back to the bench in Florida a bunch of retired judges, and they call it the okay, rocket. There were so many there were so many uh, foreclosures that they had to hire extra judges to just to deal with them. Okay. And the judge's mission, those judges' apparent mission, was just to jam as many cases through the system as swiftly as they could do it. Um, and unfortunately for the Maine listeners, and in my opinion, unfortunately for the New Hampshire listeners, Maine has a judicial foreclosure system, which is what Florida has. And judges are involved in foreclosures from start to finish. In New Hampshire, they don't have to go to court to foreclose. 
Um, and you can describe yeah. the so- process better than that? I can. But yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a non-judicial foreclosure system. You're any each promissory note and mortgage that you sign contains a provision. The mortgage says is upon the statutory conditions for breach of which the the mortgagee or the lender shall have the, uh, the 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 right to foreclose, and basically, there's a statute that says, you know, if you there are certain conditions that you have to satisfy, not the least of which, obviously, is you have to make your monthly payments, but you also have to keep your property insured, you have to pay your property taxes, you have to keep your property in good condition and repair, and if you violate one or more of those conditions, then the lender can uh, go ahead and, and foreclose. Uh, the most common violation, so obviously, they don't have to go to they don't have no, to go to court. It's the, it, the most the most common one, however, obviously, is the failure to make your monthly payments. Mm-hmm. And so the process begins by the uh, the lender then uh, sending to the borrower a, uh, a dem- what's known as a demand letter. It's a letter which sets forth the fact that you know you're in default of this provision of your mortgage loan, and and uh, here's what you have to do to correct it. You have 30 days in which to correct it. And in addition to correcting it, you also have to pay us our costs and fees that are incurred in hiring a lawyer to send you this letter. Uh, if that, if in fact there is no response, or if the uh, breach is not incurred within the 30-day period, then the foreclosure process can begin. And the foreclo- foreclosure process begins basically by uh, the preparation of a notice of foreclosure, which gets sent by a certified mail to the borrower, or in some instances will be served by the sheriff on the borrower. Then it gets published in a newspaper of general circulation in the county where the property is located. Most frequently, that turns out to be the Manchester Union Leader here in the state of New Hampshire. It has to be published three times a week for three successive weeks, not less than 20 days before the scheduled foreclosure. In addition, notice has to be given to anybody else who might have a lien against the property. If you have an attachment against the property, if the city or town is owed back taxes, etc., everyone involved who has a lien has to be notified. Uh, and then usually uh, there's a provision which says within about 60 days or so, the property uh, goes to a foreclosure auction. Oh, uh, and the an property auction, is, yeah. is sold at, at an auction. Uh, sometimes the bank is the only bidder, uh, but there was a case in the 1980s which basically said that there had to be a little bit better notice than just the, the legal notice, which mm-hmm. pours most people out of their minds. So there's a requirement on the foreclosing party to exercise due diligence to make sure that a fair price is obtained for the property at foreclosure. And that process can involve a publishing an ad in the paper by an auctioneer indicating the property is going to be sold. Sometimes if the lender is cooperative, the uh, auctioneer will even hold an open house so that bidders can come in and get an idea as to what it is you know, they will want to pay for the property. Uh, and then the, the auction takes place, and it's literally an auction where the auctioneer shows up, representative from the bank shows up, interested parties show up. You have to pay a, a deposit down to, to, to sign up for the auction. The property then gets sold to, to the highest bidder, who then signs a purchase and sales agreement with the lender. And then at some point, title to the property can get transferred. I think it has to be not less than 60 days, gets transferred to the buyer at, at foreclosure sale. And that's basically it in a nutshell. Now, the borrower there are a couple of things that are interesting here, one of which Tom uh, touched upon. There is a uh, kind of boilerplate provision in the foreclosure notice which says, among other things, that the original note and mortgage are in the possession of the lender and may be examined by interested parties during normal business hours. So mm-hmm. you can go to the bank and say, I want to see the original mortgage, I want to see the original note to make sure that it's actually here. The other thing that has to be set forth in the foreclosure notice is a statement which says to the, uh, to the borrower, you have the right to petition the court to enjoin this foreclosure sale uh, upon on such terms as the court may require, and you've got to make service upon the, the lender if you do that. 
Um, while that provision exists, the chances of success are pretty slim. Okay, you so have you, to show there was a defect, and you can yeah. go to court at that point. But yeah. basically, you'd either have to show there was a, a defect in the process along the lines that Tom has pointed out earlier, or sometimes if the if the borrower says, "Look, um, I've signed a purchase and sales agreement, uh, you know, with Will Pierce to buy my house, and we have mm-hmm. a closing schedule, but it's going to be uh, two weeks after the scheduled foreclosure sale, and there will be enough money derived from this sale to pay everybody." off, then the court would likely grant the uh, uh, injunction or at least postpone the foreclosure sale. But those those are, are slim and rare occurrences where that actually happens. So in most cases, the property winds up going to auction. But those, those, that, there's the highlight of the difference between Maine and New Hampshire's process. In Maine, the bank has to prove that it has the right to foreclose. They have to prove they sent the notice, the default notice. They even have to prove how much money is owed. In New Hampshire, it's just the reverse. If the homeowner wants to go to court to stop the foreclosure, the homeowner has to prove that there's something wrong with the bank's process or paperwork. And think Mm -hmm. about, if you were a homeowner, which route you would rather live with. Um, And think about how difficult it is to get the paperwork out of the bank to prove that they're wrong in what they're doing. Yeah, it would be be very difficult. Um, So uh, now the, I want to get to a couple couple other things. Um, uh, In, uh, now now let's say I wanted to, is it possible to, uh, now I have my mortgage with with home, uh, with Wells Fargo. I mean, um, can I, can I ask to see uh, the uh, to see if they have uh, the chain of title? Well, I'm going to speak to Maine. In, in yeah. Maine, mm-hmm. I can file discovery requests and I can make them cough up all of the assignments and all of the um, the promissory note, and I can make them produce all of their business records showing how they accounted for the payments that I made. Oh, really? Okay. It's expensive. You need a lawyer to do it. I mean, it's very difficult for a non a person not with a lawyer to uh, to to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's say someone that is facing foreclosure uh, in in New Hampshire and in uh, Maine, what should they do? They should get a lawyer. I mean, yeah. the two, there's two. I have two two responses. To that first, do not ever ever send money to an out of state firm that tells you that they can help you save your house. New Hampshire's got good lawyers. Maine's got good lawyers. If you if you want to try to save your house from foreclosure, get a lawyer in New Hampshire or Maine. Do not send money out of state. It's heartbreaking mm-hmm. how many cases I've seen where thousands of dollars have been sent to scam artists in California and Florida who do nothing to help the homeowners. Mm-hmm. Charlie, have you encountered uh, robo-signed documents in, in your, uh, was you, sometimes you do? Yeah, I, I have not. I have not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me, let me just let me just point out one other thing that lawyers can do that I do regularly now. Uh, we have got I've been to the Maine Supreme Court now 17 times in the last since 2010. That's seven years. We've we've have a wonderful string of cases in Maine. What my practice is now is when a homeowner comes to me and I want to help them save the house, I do not put my appearance in the case until half an hour before trial starts. When they come to trial, they do not bring the documents they need to prove their case. They may not bring the note. They almost never bring the adequate business record proof of how much is owed. So these are the foreclosure mills. These are the foreclosure mills. And I win defense judgments. And we had the Maine Supreme Court rule two weeks ago that once they lose once, they can never foreclose again. Yeah. Okay. So so that means if if, um, I'm being foreclosed upon and uh, I go to court and you're my lawyer and you you show up there, there's a, there's a, 
there's a, an attorney representing the foreclosure mill. They're not very careful about right. their paperwork. Right. Um, let's say it's a $100,000 house, and I owe $120,000 on the mortgage because uh, um, it's, uh, the, the values have dropped. Then y- y- in many cases, uh, you have gotten the mortgage, the, the foreclosure process dismissed with uh, prejudice, right? We have. I mean, that, that's, that, that in one sense of the word is an unjust result. None of us, if you've got a sure. $150,000 mortgage, you really should have to pay it back. But what the reason we're achieving these results is the main courts have realized it's the only way to start keeping the, the servicers honest. If mm-hmm. they know they're going, they risk losing the house entirely, then maybe they're going to come in and be more honest throughout the entire system. Mm, okay. Um, I'd like to, to – we only have a couple minutes left, and uh, we we even forgot to do a station break. Uh, That's good. All right. Um, but um, just uh, – Thomas, just tell us about the uh, – well, you know, you're sort of a – you helped the whistleblowers, right. and um, you switched sides. Right. And uh, all these people you used to work with? Uh, <laughs> They're not happy. <laughs> okay, well, th- th- there's a certain personal cost to, uh, to, um, to, to doing what you did and uh, yeah. fighting for the little guy. Yeah. Can, you, can you describe it for us? Or? Well, I mean, it, I, you know, fortunately I have been spared a lot of threats. I mean, I've had some people make some awfully uh, derogatory comments about my work. Some of my former friends in the banking community uh, became fairly hostile to me. Um, did you make some new friends? Made a lot of new friends, yeah. and um, okay. it's been. I, I I view the whole last eight years have been a very positive experience. It's it's wonderful to be able to stick your finger in the eyes of the big guys who are trying to screw the little guys. Charlie, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to take off very soon. Anything more you'd uh, want to tell us about the? In a, in well, I mean, and basically, it's a, the last Hampshire's words. a very streamlined process, and from beginning to end, it can take about 150 days. <laughs> I guess the thing is, you know, if you if you're behind in your payments and you get a demand letter from the from your lender, the time to get involved with an attorney is then. Mm-hmm. Some lenders will work with you, you know. Some mm-hmm. some lenders will, some lenders won't. But basically, if you you know when you when once once the process is underway officially, it's it's pretty difficult to stop it. The time mm-hmm. to try to do that is before it reaches that point. And um, Chuck Toliak is not retired. He, he's still with your with your law firm. That's correct. He is. Yeah. And uh, what's that law firm again? Uh, Boynton, Waldron, Doliak, yeah, they're just Woodman, down and Scott here in eighty two Court Street Walden. in Portsmouth. Yeah. Okay. So they're just down downtown. Yes. Phil, I think we got a. I think we have to. We're running out of time here. So. That's the full time that we've had for the Economic Warrior on behalf of myself, thank Charlie you very much, Griffin, guys. Will Pierce, and uh, Thomas Cox. Thank you guys very much for being part of this special edition of the Economic Warrior. Barry will be back next week with some more special, awesome economicness. Thank you very much. This has been the Economic Warrior with your host, Will Pierce. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?